You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. On Wednesday morning, I woke up from a strange little short dream um, in which I had just finished leading worship at church. I think the song I was singing was Great Are You, Lord. I'm not entirely sure, but I think that was it. Um, And I was over by the communion table when Brian came over to me and said, while you were worshiping, I heard these two words, clamo, clamo. And then I woke up. I was like, well, that was gibberish. Uh, It doesn't sound like a very fancy word or anything like that. But I pulled open my phone anyways and just typed in clamo. And pretty much right away, I got these worship songs in in Spanish or Portuguese. So I typed it into the translator. And clamo more or less means I cry, I cry, uh, or cry, cry um, in in Spanish, Portuguese, Latin, things like that. And as I sat there trying to kind of think over that, why I'm dreaming in Spanish words I've never heard before, which is really more like, help me out, Alyssa, is it clamor? Yeah, so Jesus had to say it in a way that I would uh, know how to type it in, I guess. Um, But uh, uh, just in looking at this, uh, I felt this urge to just give us a space through worship today to clamor, clamor, to to sing out, to cry out to God and worship. I know that we've continued to kind of lean into what he's doing, and we're uh, consistently trying to figure out where the Spirit's taking us. And worship, for me, is a big part of that, because when we worship, we create a space for God to come. And you see this throughout the Bible in many different ways. When the prophets needed to hear from God, we see that Elisha, would go and ask for a musician to come and play. So a musician would play, and suddenly the hand of the Lord would come on Elisha, and then he would prophesy. And that right there, if Elisha's doing that, he probably learned it from other prophets. Throughout the Old Testament, there were schools of prophets, uh, in which people would kind of, kind of like a school of fish, not necessarily an educational place, but like a, a group of prophets, that they would come together. And anytime you have people in the same kind of thing, in the same kind of place, you learn from each other. When pastors get together, when teachers get together, uh, you learn from each other. You see what the best ways to go about things. So I think within the prophetic tradition, there was an understanding that if you want to hear God speak, music is a way to step into that. And you see this in other places, too. When Saul goes up to a, a place where the prophets have been worshiping, the, the prophets come down from the place where they were worshiping with tambourines and lyres in their hands. They've been singing. They've been playing music. They've been worshiping. When David, created the, uh, when David was in charge of what was going on in the tabernacle, he had thousands of priests, and he assigned hundreds to thousands of them to be worship leaders, to play music in the temple with instruments that David had made. Why would David do that? I suggest it's because David uh, uh, and and many throughout uh, the Bible believed that the tabernacle was a place where heaven and earth met. It's like a a mirror. If you've seen Stranger Things, you know like the way that they talk is like on the other side, like a parallel universe. There's this dark place that's exactly like 
the mirror side on, on the other side, our place. Well, the Bible kind of thinks of heaven and earth and the tabernacle in that kind of way. You walk into the tabernacle, but at the same time you walk into the tabernacle, you've walked into almost another dimension, a mirror verse, uh, another place on the other side of it where heaven is being mirrored. And when we look at what heaven looks like in Revelation, it's no surprise. We, we see spiritual beings worshiping God, crying out to God, and they can't stop, and they won't stop. And they just keep going, singing and singing and singing all day and all night. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And as Christians are brought into heaven throughout Revelation, they get a new song and they start to proclaim. And Revelation has several hymns where people are just singing. The Bible has an entire hymn book called the Psalms. And I know that we, we fight about what kind of music it should be long in churches these days. Some are still fighting that we should only be singing hymns, which is ironic to me because those have been created over the last few hundred years or so. The Bible had its own hymn book that got into all kinds of themes, all kinds of emotions. Over 40% of the Psalms are laments. People trying to take the pain that they have and express it to God in a holy kind of way in which he can respond. So the Bible has uh, music for all kinds of things that we go through. And I know that not everybody in here is musicians. I know that not everybody in here has tone. I know that not everybody knows how to harmonize or this or that. And I know that uh, some may feel so dull about music that it seems like that thing that we just do to get through it. But I encourage you, don't, don't look at worship music in that direction because the Bible's perspective of it is that it actually does something. It actually shifts atmospheres because God is enthroned upon his praises. So when you sing out to him, you should expect some of the fullness of who he is to start to seep in. And there's been different stories all throughout the world where this kind of thing happens. Mahesh Chavda was uh, doing ministry in another country when all of a sudden things got very foggy around them. And this is before fog machines were kind of staple church things. Um, they're in another country and it's foggy and everywhere they look, it's just like they're inside of a cloud. That sounds weird to us, why would that happen? But that happens in the Bible several times. When God enters the tabernacle, he comes in cloud form, and suddenly they find themselves in, in this, this cloud. When God enters the temple, he comes in cloud form, and the priests who were there couldn't stand up to minister. They, like, fall over or can't stand, at least. Why? Because that cloud is, is the glory of the Lord, and that word glory literally translated is, is weightiness. The weightiness of God has come. And sometimes God is just so heavy that you can't even stand up. You see that in Pentecostal churches today. You see that throughout John Wesley's ministry. They called it thunderstruck. The presence would just come and suddenly people would be knocked to the ground. The Jews called it Shekinah. It's not a word we have anywhere in the Bible, but it was Jewish tradition to talk about what the glory of God looked like. It was a shimmery, shiny presence in a cloudy-like form. It was like the aura or radiance or essence of God's presence. And we've heard that even in modern circles. So like up on the screen right now, you can hit play, Jody. It's just a video of over at Bethel Church, very popular, well-known church, uh, whether you agree or disagree with 
everything they teach. I'm not on board with everything they teach, but um, this video is, is just of a glory cloud, uh, this Shekinah-like thing that happened one Sunday, where suddenly the glitter, the glory of God, the gold dust, as it's often called in Pentecostal circles, just started flowing in the room out of nowhere while they were worshiping. And I know there's a hundred videos online of how they faked this and did all this, but this is not, I mean, it's, it's, it's rare, but it's not unusual even in ancient thinking that the glory of God might show up in a way like that while people are worshiping. This does not happen to them all the time. That's like the one time it's ever happened. But as they're worshiping, God pours out. I remember when we did our last reveal, I, I was just so eager, like, oh, glory cloud, come on, let's, let's go, let's see this happen. Um, and, and it didn't, but I remember just thinking of some different words people have given us about worshiping in these rooms and how they've been sacred and God's doing great things in there through spare um and through counseling and things like that. And I just remember like saying, open up these doors while we were worshiping at the end of the night. And, and Pastor Stephen, who was here with us that day, just like, it just felt like this surge just of him, over him as those open and just kind of like went down or something. I, I don't know. He, he didn't explain it very clearly to me. But like that right there, like that's a moment of like asking God's presence to come and seeing him invade. And I clamo, 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 clamo for that. I will cry out for that because I want to experience the, the greater depths of what God has to give Christianity is an adventure. Christianity is a journey. And, and Christianity is, is something experiential. And you often got to cry out, cry out, cry out over and over and over again until you find those deeper parts. God wants to test his people. God wants to test his people. He wants to see if they're they're really going to go the whole distance for it. If they really are going to glorify him with the gifts that he gives. Are our hearts in a place where we're crying out for more of God? Are our hearts in a place where we want that adventure, where we want the greater depths, the, the more of the intimacy that, that he has to offer us? Is that what we want? Or are we okay with the stale Christian life that generally kind of impacts us and doesn't really branch out to hit a whole lot more people. I get it. Life can be mundane. Christianity can be mundane. God expects us to seek him out and find him in the mundane, not just in those high moments. But, but when you seek, the Bible tells you that you will find. When you knock or when you hear him knocking and you open, he says he'll come in and dine with you. The Bible expects us to ask, expects us to cry out. The Vineyard Church movement, um, one of the things that really made it take off was the pastor, John Wimber, who started it, would really pray every week. He's like, look, the Bible says that if we pray, people will be healed. So we're just going to pray every week for healing and see what happens. And he went and had these prayer sessions in every service, and nobody got healed. And nobody got healed, and nobody got healed, until finally, one day, after, I don't know, months or years, something happened. Someone got healed, and suddenly the Vineyard Church movement was known for the gift of healing, when apparently after that moment, healing became commonplace. The Holy Spirit would just show up in these real tangible ways, but why did he take so long? 
testing, crying out, glorifying, asking for more. Same with Heidi Baker, a, a missionary in Mozambique. She was told that she would get the gift to open blind eyes. And so she prayed for every blind person she could find over and over again, and nothing happened until after a few months to a few years. Suddenly, blind eyes were being healed, and deaf ears were being opened. And it became so staple of a healing through the Holy Spirit in her life that it became ministry. Go into the villages of Mozambique, find the deaf people, heal the deaf people in front of the whole village, tell them about Jesus now that they've seen their deaf friend healed, and watch people come to Christ. Cry out, cry out, push in, push in. Don't give up, keep on going. There is more for you than what you currently have. And Paul knew that. And that's why with greater gifts like prophecy, he said, eagerly desire it. Eagerly desire the greater gifts. Just because you don't have it now doesn't mean you won't have it later. Be tested. Be fruitful. Keep pressing in. And worship is one of the ways in which we do that because God draws near to us as we draw near to him. Worship is not just about remembering a story. Worship is not just about singing some songs. Worship is this real tangible thing that impacts what is actually going on in our world. So let's continue to cry out. Let's continue to see God move. And we're just going to spend the next half hour, which is not unusual. That's about how long we usually go. Just worshiping into themes that feel like we're glorifying God, that we're crying out for more of God and uh, that we're asking him to, to draw close. So Joel and if any of our other prayer team, Kayla, Joel and Kayla will be in the back corner if you need prayer for anything. That includes if you're dealing with kleptomania or you know someone who is, which is just stealing things, even if you um, don't uh, gain any like real, uh, you don't need it, you just do it because you just want to steal. If you need prayer for something like that, go get prayer. Um, but get prayer for anything. Don't worry. It's not just like, oh, we saw someone go get prayed for. They're a kleptomaniac. <laughs> uh, just go get prayer for whatever you need today. Um, and uh, including prayer for more. Ask the Holy Spirit to draw close, to baptize you, to teach you afresh, to dream dreams, to see visions, to be empowered with the ability to heal. And as you figure out what God is doing in you, tell us so that we can use you to continue to grow the body of 1208 to do exactly what it needs to do. So the band's going to come up while we worship, and um, we invite you into this time, and then we'll uh, uh, just continue to press in throughout the next half hour. So Jesus, we want you. You say, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and anybody who, who hears my voice and opens it, I will come and dine with them. We want to dine with you. We want to know more of you. We want to hear more of your voice. We want to experience you to the fullest degree. So whatever it is that you have for 1208 this morning, we just worship you, not to get something out of it, but knowing that you enjoy uh, the praises of your people, and we like you to enjoy what we have to give. In Jesus' name, amen. I had also given a word at a spare room this week. Um, it was all about 
Um, I, I learned all about birds and sort of how they learn to get their, um, their song. And it turns out that birds oftentimes are born knowing what song they're supposed to sing, but without a mentor or someone that they're supposed to look to. Um, they never know how to perfect that song to really get people to um, come and hear their song or other birds to come and hear their song. So uh, we encourage you that if you feel like maybe you um, know your song, you feel inherently like you know what God's calling you to do, you know inherently maybe some of your giftings, uh, but you've just never found a way to maybe apply that to um, the church or know how to do that, uh, there's prayer for you. So music, I'm like Jamin said, I'm someone who I've never really been someone who's been musically gifted and has always been hard for me to push into maybe the musical side. Um, But I found other ways such as like metaphor, words of encouragement, Uh, there's gifts of healing, there's lots of different gifts that you can push into. So if you've been someone who's been trying to find your gifting, uh, there'll be prayer for you um, in that regard as well.